Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. There is, um, if I was going to title this message, I uh, saw it in a couple different places. I won't say it's original with me, but I will say that it's, it's um, deep within my heart, that fire always falls on sacrifices. So what that means is, is that it's our job to bring sacrifices and it's God's job to add the fire to it. Uh, you don't have to worry about him carrying through on his part. Amen. He always does. So I wanted you to uh, kind of take today, we're going to, we're going to do a little exercise. I'm not going to get hung up on this for very long. Cause I, man, I've got, I've been working on this message for a long time. I've got, I've got a lot of Sundays worth of notes and I'm going to just jam them in here this morning. So, so get ready, but we're going to start at present and we're going to work back to get a view that has perspective on spiritual condition over time. And that view, we're, we're going to end up clear back in the old Testament. And it, it begins to show a type and a shadow of what Pentecost really is. But first, I want to start over in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. So if you turn over there real quick, I'm just going to start reading. I know your works. This is one of the messages. Matter, matter of fact, this is the message to the, to the angel of the Laodicean church. Most scholars believe that there was any one of these seven churches in Asia that would represent our church today. That is the church in the world today. It would probably be Laodicea, particularly in the Western societies. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that. I think all seven churches, there's parts of them manifesting in every generation. But this one gives us perspective from God about heart and attitude that I think every one of us needs to, needs to um, you know, pay attention to. So in 15 of Revelation 3, it says that, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And that's probably the most quoted verse of, of this, of this uh, message to the Laodicean church. And there's good reason for it because God is speaking to a heart condition that is so easy to fall into. And that is the condition of lukewarmness. God has an opinion on it, a very strong opinion. He said, I'd rather have you cold. I'd rather have you stone cold in my, my you know, Idaho slang version of it, or I'd rather have you hot. I just, I just, I can't, I can't deal with in between where you got one foot in and one foot out where you're just kind of around spiritual people, you're on the supernatural side, but then around the world, you just kind of swing to those. God's not looking for the wishy-washy. And I'm going to tell you is particularly in the day, particularly the day where we talk about revival. Revival is simply a time when the people of God, they're all in. There's no other way to really live a Christian life and have the peace that goes beyond understanding. In, in, in my opinion, if you're trying to do one foot in and one foot out, you're always going to be frustrated. The best thing is, is just jump right in the middle of it. Jump right in and say, God, whatever you're given, whatever you're doing, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it is. I just want to be a part of it. And so that's kind of what this message to this church is about. And he goes on and he said, because you think you're rich and you become wealthy and you have need of nothing. That's why most think this is probably dealing or can certainly apply to our Western culture with our prosperity and all the things that we have um, that we thank God for. But then he said, there's an issue here. You become wealthy, you're rich, you have this sense that we don't need much. We don't need anything. But he said, you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He's talking about their spiritual condition. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes that you may see. 
Verse 19, every believer, young and old, you need to get this firmly uh, settled in your mind and your heart. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase. The rebuke and the chastening of the Lord is simply the stamp that he loves you. And so that's what was happening with this church. They thought they were well set. They didn't realize that they had great need. And so he said, this is my counsel. This is the counsel from heaven. I want you to buy gold. I want you to buy a form of gold from me. Gold refined in the fire. I guess my question is, if I were, you know, standing before the Lord, he was, and he was having this conversation with me personally, um, my question would be, well, how do I do that? How do I go about buying this gold that has been refined in fire? This isn't just any gold. It's not just any process that this gold was refined. And if you want to look into it, and I'm not doing it today, but there are a number of different ways to purify gold. But he said, this is the gold that I'm, that I'm telling you, you need to purchase and you need to get in your life. Gold that has been refined in the fire. Gold purified by fire. Fire is connected to God's presence and his power in both Testaments, Old Testament and New Testament. Fire was one of the main ingredients or a sign or a symbol of it on the day of Pentecost. And that's what we're working to. We're going to get there in a few minutes, but I just want to lay some foundation about the fire of God. And, and, and in the Old Testament, it's, we'll, we'll look at a couple of things and we'll see, and it's a type and shadow pointing forward, actually coming, referring to Revelation 3 here. This is the gold I'm telling you to buy. Jesus then spoke about it and talked about it a little bit. We'll get into that. But I want you to go over verse Kings chapter 18, verse 23 and 24, because way back in the Old Testament, what was happening in Revelation 3 to the Laodicean church, I want you to make a decision. You're going to have to come to a point where you realize you're in a, in a place of spiritual need. I'm not so much worried about this aspect with those that don't know Jesus. Now, they might argue with you that religion is foolish, that I don't need anything the church has. But remember that conscious thing we were talking about in communion? It doesn't matter if they say they're an atheist or they're an agnostic or they don't believe there's a God. Yet down, in each, down inside each and every person, regardless of, of their position of faith or whatever, way, way down in deep where mama never gets to look, where nobody else knows, where your sweetheart doesn't know, where you don't, where you don't let it out to anybody, way down deep in the sight of everybody, there's that thing that realizes, I need more than what I have in myself. That's what drugs are all about. That's what alcohol is all about, right, Vernon? That's what, that's what that whole quest of the world is all about, trying to deal with that. I need something more than what's inside it. Church and Laodicea, come and buy gold. And so here in the Old Testament, we find Elisha, God's prophet, calls the people, uh, God calls God's people, calls to the nation of Israel, and he's calling them, and he said, you need to make a choice. Because the nation at that point, some of them were kind of tight with the Lord, but man, the nation as a whole, they were, they were torn between two opinions. If we're going to look at it on a national level, oh my goodness, there isn't another analogy that would be so apt for America than this analogy the other day. A nation torn between two opinions. Are we, going to, are we going to serve the God that our forefathers served and knew and our country was founded on? Or are we just going to throw that all aside and say there's another way, a better way, a new way, and we don't want to have anything to do with it? That's what was happening then, and it happens over and over again. The the remedy is always the same. The Lord sends somebody, raises that somebody, brings the call to them. You're going to have to make a choice. And so Elijah, God's prophet, calls to them. And in verse 23 here of um, chapter 18, let me get there. He said, uh, therefore, let, okay. So he said, you know, he got the, he got the false religion, the Baals, the, the pr prophets of Baal, got them together. 
He talked to them, to the people, and he said, how long will you falter halt between two opinions? Verse 21, he said, if Baal's God, then follow him. If woke is God, then follow that. If science is God, then follow that. But if God's God, if God is who he really says he is, you got to make a decision or you're going to follow him. And it's not, well, yeah, I'll do a little lip service here and then I'll kind of hang out with this crowd here. No, he came down and he said, today you're going to have to choose. And so the choice is remarkable here. And, and I'm gonna, we're, we're going somewhere with this. We're, we're going to be looking at Pentecost, Acts chapter two. But this, this actually, I believe this is the perfect type of Pentecost in the Old Testament. Therefore, let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut them pieces. This is the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah, the servant of the Lord. Cut them in pieces, lay them on the wood, put no fire under it. And I'll prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. Then you'll call upon the name of your gods and I'll call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he's God. <laughs> Before we get into spiritualizing all of that and applying it today, I'm gonna look at a couple of things first. I want you to look at the, two, at the ingredients. There were two bowls. I don't know where they came from. I don't know what rancher raised them. I don't know how he got uh, roped into saying, we need your bulls today. Oh, well, sure, they're friendly. They're nice bulls. Well, they're not going to be so nice after we get done with them. But there were two of them there. And, and the whole point of this exercise was the false gods, those prophets of the false Baal religion, they got to pick one and Elijah got to pick one. That was the sacrifice. You get to choose what you're going to sacrifice. We each have a choice of what we bring and we sacrifice to the Lord. And so they, uh, the, the prophets of Baal picked one bull. I don't know what they were looking for. I don't know if there was some tip, a special thing that they thought that that bull would be better than the other bull. I don't know. I suspect Elijah was just like, it doesn't matter so much which bull. It matters what's going to happen to that bull after not only I get done with him, but God gets done with him. But you got to pick what you're going to sacrifice. Sacrifice is something that is still in the Bible for New Testament Christians. It didn't go away somewhere along the line. It's still there. Kind of along the line of reaping and sowing. If you sow little, you reap little. It's just the principle. If you're generous, if you give, God will give it back to you. All those kind of things. That's what was going on here. And so they each picked a bowl and then they had to prepare it in a certain way. And this is where sacrifices. If, if I wish there was a way that I could teach a class where how to make sacrifice not messy. We'll have a clean, perfect sacrifice. Yes, there's no mess involved. It's instant. You just pop it in, push the 30-second button, and it pops out just exactly. The sacrifice in the Bible is never like that. Sacrifice is always messy. Thus the cross. But here, they picked the bulls, and then they had to prepare the sacrifice in a certain way. And the way was, you had to cut this prime, big, huge, massive, precious, expensive animal and to get going to see where God was going to come in and reveal himself, you had to cut it up into pieces. That was a messy process. There were axes and knives and clubs and everything imaginable going on. And with it didn't take too long. And those prime sears were reduced to prime rib and ribeye and all those things. And they were laid out, um, they were laid out upon an altar. The next thing is you, you got to position the sacrifice. That's what, what the point I just made. You got to lay it out. It's got to be placed on what? It's got to be surrendered. A sacrifice isn't a sacrifice until you finally surrender. You know what the greatest sacrifice is, right? Has nothing to do with checkbook. 
has nothing to do with anything you own or have your name on. It has nothing to do with what your family lineage is. It has nothing to do with grandma and grandpa's inheritance that they gave you. It has nothing to do with, with what citizen you are, what country you're a citizen of. It has nothing to do with your education, however great or however little that may be. It has nothing to do with it. It has not, and I can just go on and on and on. The sacrifice really without this component isn't a sacrifice. A sacrifice only becomes a sacrifice when it's surrendered. Your giving only becomes precious whenever you let it go. The ultimate sacrifice that the Lord is looking for is you. Nothing else connected with you, just you. Not what anybody else has done to you or for you or through you or about you. It's just you. That's what he's looking for, is you. He's not looking for how your uh, parents serve God. He's not looking for how your wife or your spouse or your husband serves God. He's not looking for how your parents serve God, how your grandpa serves God. He's not like, he wants to know you. Your sect are you a sacrifice surrendered to me. And now we come to where this connects to Revelation 3. Because the next component is, uh, you know, at that point, it's just a bull that's been reduced to, um, you know, uh, to the components of, of the butchering process. It's laid on an altar that was prescribed and all of that, but yet it was still lacking the most important thing. It was cold. There was nothing special about it. It was going to, it was going to deteriorate in a couple of days. It was going to smell bad. It, it wasn't going to be good for anything. It was just cold, dead meat on the altar. And without the fire coming upon it, it really hasn't had the touch of God upon it. This cold part of the sacrifice being on the altar, I look at that as, as the part where we make invitation for God's presence to come. It's prayer. How do you present yourself as a sacrifice? How do you present yourself as a living sacrifice? It's really a verbal, spiritual, and mental exercise. You say, Lord, I surrender my life to you as a living sacrifice. Here I am, it's yours. I am yours. Once you do that and you make the invitation, now the best part is able to take place because up to that point, it's just all on this side. It's just, it's just ingredients. It's just formality. It's just form. All the challenges there. Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do today? And really for most part, just so much of what we call church and religion, it, ju it just goes to that point and then it stops. Religion is the most frustrating and dead enterprise ever presented to mankind. It doesn't matter if you're an Aborigine in the deserts of Australia or you're out of MIT in Boston, Massachusetts, it doesn't matter. If religion is always the same, it's a form without power. It's a form that has no energy in it. It's a form in this way that has no fire been applied to it. Because when God brings his presence and his fire into the equation, now, everything changes. Everything and every dynamic and every circumstance and every situation. As a matter of fact, the prophet Elijah said, the God who answers by fire, he's God. And you know what? It's still the same today. God still answers by fire. We'll get to that in just a moment. But you make the invitation, God, I need you. And so now instead of it being a bull that's on the altar, it's you that's on the altar. And here's the scary part. The invitation is, Lord, I need you to come and put your fire on me. That's what this Pentecost Sunday, my message is all about. How to have heaven's fire come upon us. Or let me personalize it. I'm not preaching to you. Or we're all in this together. I need it to come upon me. 
there's a reason they cut the bull in pieces, by the way. Because the bull's standing there tied to the wood altar and the little priest comes with his big lighter. <laughs> you know who's going to win? Bull's going to make a good stomping on the little priest with his big lighter. Sacrifice has to be cut in pieces. Why? Because it's going it's to crawl off the altar. It's going to run away. I don't know about you, but I would raise an Idaho. And we raised them right out in the backfield to put in the freezer for the winter. The first cow to get butchered wasn't too bad. Put a rope on her, lead her up. You even know what I'm talking about? A little tri, tri pole with a ball and tackle on it. First one's not bad. It was me and my brother and my good friend, Dwayne. We were the guy, we were the backup crew that had to bring the rest of them up after the first one. Once the first sacrifice was cut in pieces. Oh, I've been drugged through the pasture more than once. I got up cleaning stuff off that should have never been on me. Because that sacrifice, that, that cow knew what was coming. Here's part about sacrifice. Here's, here's why secret friendly churches don't talk about sacrifices. Because the thing that you got to sacrifice, which is you, when it comes to the block and tackle, which is something's got to be surrendered over and it's not going to go over in whole. It's going to go over and it's going to be totally surrendered. It, there's got to be some type of death process in that. Now, thank God Jesus paid the price. He's the one, of course. But uh, whenever you come, that he did his part. Now our part is to present ourselves, as Paul said, as living sacrifices. And so the fire came and I'm not going to go through the rest of the story because uh, the prophets of Baal, they did everything they could to get fire to fall from the sky, everything. But it didn't come. There's one thing, I don't care how many of the, dark magic things you've gotten into or false cults or all that. I was a missionary for a number of years. Let me tell you, their demonic presence is real. The dark world is real. The, the devil is real and all that. We kind of insulate ourselves from it. But, uh, but the one thing that they, they don't have is real power that changes people from the inside out. They can only inflict bondage. Where Jesus came, I've come to set them free. The son says free, says free indeed. Completely different, two different kingdoms. And so what's, what's, if this is the equivalent, what I'm trying to pr present to you today, the equivalent of the Pentecost and the, uh, Pentecost in the Old Testament, because the fire did come, didn't come on Baal's uh, offering. But whenever the prophet Elijah came up, he said, not only do I'm going to have my sacrifice here, he said, I want you guys to start dumping water all over it. He was a man of faith. I'm going to tell you, he knew something that no other spiritual leader knew in that day. He knew. It doesn't matter how much I wet it down. It doesn't matter how impossible I make it. It doesn't matter how ridiculous I get this point that the God who answers by fire, and so I'm gonna take and totally saturate. It doesn't matter because God's greater than anything that I can present in myself. You see, he wasn't coming with his big lighter. He was coming in the name of a God who's a God of fire himself. Over in Deuteronomy chapter four, you don't need to turn there. Maybe if Michael gets it up there, but in verse 22 of Deuteronomy four, Moses, his final words, he said, you're going, he said, I'm getting ready to leave. Uh, God's taking me uh, out of here. I messed up a little bit. We won't go into all that. But he said, in Deuteronomy 4, he said, you shall cross over and you'll possess that good land. And he's telling them, he's telling them how that God's going to show and reveal to them as the people possessing the promises of God. He said, you're going to have to go over again and take, have to take heed of some things. And way down in verse 24, this is what Moses learned for his journey with God. He said, your God, say your God. Your God is a consuming fire. 
wait a second. Moses saw just the opposite. Oh, remember? He had an encounter with God in fire. When he was the chief shepherd for Midian's business. Out on the backside, hiding from the Egyptian. The bush burned, but it was not consumed. He said, that's a strange thing. I'm going to have to go check that out. Close, he gets up, he gets close to it. Take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. And my goodness, Moses had an encounter with fire. It was there, it was burning, but it didn't consume it. You see, here's where the faith part is. Because the preachers can make it sound kind of enticing, but whenever they get to, you're going to die and that's the, that's the surrender, that's the part. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Whatever you offer to God that he applies his fire to doesn't destroy it, but it perfects it for him. Come on. Whatever sacrifice you offer to God and you purely surrender it over and he applies his fire to it, it doesn't consume and it perfects it. Now, Jesus enters in here and I want to give you the punchline before we begin to fill this out. What's, what's the sacrifice of Pentecost? Luke 24, fill in the gaps in your own time. I'm going to pick it up. Verse 49, Luke 24, behold, Jesus speaking, behold, I send you the promise of my father upon you. Wow, that's a, that's a good one. I'm sending you the promise of my father upon you. He personalized it. Not sending Gary the promise of the father for you on Randy. It's for, I'm sending the promise of the father to you. It's a personal, he wants it to come to you. Not to your family, not to your church, not to your neighbor, to you. I'm sending the promise of the father to you. And here comes the sacrifice because it has a conjunctive word right after the semicolon, you, which means you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to realign the synapses in your brain to get ready for what's coming next because this is the contract. This is the deal. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That's the fire of the New Testament. That enduing, that, that releasing of power from on high. Jesus is preparing the altar of the New Testament fire here. The choice is yours. You're going to have to choose wisely. There's two bulls here. You're going you're to have to. Do you know what uh, the historians of the early church, what they say whenever Jesus said, now go tarry in Jerusalem. And remember they went, they found the upper room. Most think it was the room where Jesus had the last supper and all that. They went in it. Do you know what? They, most of them think they started out with five, about 500 people in that room. No timeline, no schedule. That's tough. No format. Pastor Mike, does a wonderful job laying out the order of service every week. I love it. I come in and I see what I'm doing and we see what everybody, and he does, he does. there was none of that. Go to Jerusalem, go up in the room, stay there until undoing happens. Knowing Peter, I imagine Peter might've turned to John because he knew Jesus really loved John and he might've said, Peter, what's, in, what's endued me? We're gonna stay. If there was anybody that had problems staying, <laughs> If there was anybody that had problems with fire, oh, you remember Peter's encounter with fire, right? Soldiers came, took Jesus. A couple minutes before, Peter's gotten the sword and he's going ninja on him and he's cutting ears and Jesus like, put that thing down. I'm gonna have to fix it up and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and finally, they just took Jesus, all the, all the, they were, the soldiers were all slain in the spirit first before they touched it. Go read it. All the Roman soldiers, guards, uh, a brass helmet, sword. They were all in the dust before the feet of Jesus, before they arrested him. Then they upped up and, come on, Jesus, we're getting out of here. It was cold that time of year. 
Jesus was gone. Peter went by fire. But it wasn't God's fire. Before it was all over, before a little teenage girl, when she said, I thought I saw you with that guy. I never knew him. Cursed him over and over. Standing by the wrong fire. Two bulls, remember, in the Old Testament. You get to choose. You get to choose which altar you're going to be standing beside when the fire comes. So Jesus is telling, go and tarry. We see them now in, 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 in this whole thing about tearing. They're the bulls in, in 2 Kings. Tearing is, that's the sacrifice. Now, we got to back up just a little bit because in those final hours of Jesus' life, there was a time when he spoke to them about tearing. And now, 50 days later, he's talking to them again about tearing. Remember in Matthew 26, 38, Jesus is in the garden, he's praying. He asked disciples, come and pray. And they did. And so Jesus went away a little ways. And he said, I want you to come and tarry with me. Larry Lee, one of the, a great pastor from the 80s and 90s. What, what was it? Could you not tarry one hour? Mike and Teresa were in that church. And I was so jealous. Then Jesus came back and they were asleep. Did it again. Came back and finally came back. He said, listen, guys. He said, I know. He said, I know the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. That tarry is a different tarry a different word than this Terry, where he said, go Terry and Jerusalem. That's the problem with the English language and trying to interpret the Bible. We just read it, Terry. Think same thing. It's not the same thing. Two different types. One will get you the fire and one won't. The first Terry, could you not Terry? Couldn't you not pray with me for a The first Terry is, is simply stay until he says we're done. It means stay it. Just so you know, I should, Susan's giving me a little thing. What's hearing me? I'm going to tell you right now. I love my wife. I know. I know she has to put up with me for so much because on the outside, I might not look like I'm detailed, but on the inside, I'm really detailed. She's detailed both inside and outside. Oh, anyway. Uh, the first Terry just says, guys, can you stay with me until we're done? And they couldn't even make it on that. That's how, that's how weak the flesh is. The, the spirit is willing. Oh, they were with him. They were in the garden. He was saying, I'm going to die. And they didn't get it, but they're with him. Guys, pray. I'm going to go over here. My soul is exceedingly heavy. Later, great drops of blood coming through his pores and his skin and his spirit exceedingly heavy. And they fell asleep again. Finally, the third time he said, he said, okay, my time has come. Stay until he says we're done. Religion presents itself in that way. Well, I'm going to wait and see what happens in church today. Or maybe you really get inspired and go to a conference or to a camp meeting or whatever. We're going to go someplace and we're going to stay until, until, until it's done, until the service is over, whatever. That's the first Terry. And the fire doesn't really happen there. In the garden, stay with me, guys, and pray. The fire wasn't going to come. They were, they were sowing in the spirit. And, and there is certainly appropriate uh, occasions and lifestyles where you need to stay until the job is done. If you uh, endure till the end, you'll be saved. That's, that's another principle in scripture. There is, there is something to stay with that. Just hanging out, you know, after you've done all to stand, what do you do? You just stand. I get that. But we're talking about the fire of God. We're talking about the two decisions of, of the nation of Israel. If Baal's God serve him, our nation is at that point today, church. The voice of our culture, which comes through these things, 
It doesn't even come through TV anymore. It doesn't come through radio anymore. It doesn't come through a newspaper anymore. It comes through this, what every one of your children at two or three years old knows how to work better than you do. Mine's blowing up on me right now. Oh, I got, long story. I got this new fancy iPhone watch. My cardiologist told me to get it so I could send them EKGs. Can you believe it? This thing takes my EKG. By the way, it's all good. Where's George at? Is he still here? George, amazing. Just had heart valve repaired a couple of weeks ago. He's in church today, walking up, giving his offering. He's my hero. I had it done and it took me two months and I sat in the front row in church and thought, I'm dying. And uh, George, is, George is amazing. Where am I at? Uh, the second one brings the, uh, brings the fire. So the second Terry, which is the second bull from, uh, from first Kings is Jesus said, I want you to stay until you're undoed. The second one says, is to enter into, the word literally means to sink into a garment. It, it means to enter into as, as though you're putting on clothes. And I've used this word in the past here, but just, I mean, this is where it's at. That's where we're at in the text. This Terry isn't about staying until a project's completed. This Terry is come in and put something on and don't take it off. This is something to Terry, uh, you're going to go and go to Jerusalem and hang out for a while until uh, you get a new robe, until you get some, the, 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 the new outer garment, the new shell, you enter into it. It's, it. It means to hover. It means to abide. It means to just, uh, it means to never leave. This whole point that Jesus was bringing in with the promise of the Father, the, the, release, the release of the Holy Spirit was something is going to come and it's going to change everything. Jesus was saying, if you think I was revolutionary, wait until you see what happens next. How many have seen Jesus' revolution? Good movie. You'll love it. Revolution, Jesus' revolution. What's happening with Jesus is the greatest revolution that ever hit the world began on Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost because it was the culmination. It was the final exclamation point. It was the final thing Jesus had laid the foundation. But now the building inspector said, the building's all done, come on in. This is where you're gonna spend the rest of your time is in this place. That's the Terry. You know what's happened in the Western culture, particularly in, in America? We hate Terry. We hate waiting around for something to happen. I'm the worst. I don't like 30 second dead time on the screen. I don't like a room that doesn't have ambient noise of music or something coming. Well, I get, I want things to be happening. Tearing is just the opposite of that. Wait upon the Lord. You shall renew your strength. And so we go over to Acts chapter two. Now I'm gonna be doing the rest of this over the next few weeks about the Holy Spirit, but we're just, this is the introduction here. But in Acts two, four, I'm gonna finish up with this. Two, one through four, he goes on. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind and cloven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided in New King James and in, in King James, it says cloven or divided tongues of fire and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so a whole new dispensation was born in that moment of time couple of thoughts before we close up about this tearing idea. Tearing is dangerous when you're with a group of people. 
They were all with one accord in one place. Do you know how difficult that is to maintain? How many have ever had a large, say, a group of over a half a dozen waiting to be seated at the restaurant? And little Johnny and little Susie are going bonkers in the, in the, in the foyer of the restaurant. And, and grandpa's all fidgety and, and somebody's needing something. And 30-minute and wait, getting ready to be seated, turns into be an exercise in frustration for the family unity. These people went to an upper room and we know because we get to look back, they were there for a week. And yet it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That was a miracle. Do you know the miracle receiving the fire of God upon your life? One of the miracles that you're going to have to be a, a part of and, and you cannot uh, uh, delegate it to somebody else. You're going to have to find the way to live the Christian life and be in unity and not all up in arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ particularly when you're a member of a particular church, say people's church. And there's not discord here. I know humanity, there's always discord, but this is not a divided church. There isn't anything like that. And, and so if you're getting ready to divide, this is what I'm telling you, don't do it. It's, it's not good. And, uh, but the miracle here was, is that they had maintained, now admittedly, there were 500 of them. By the time it got down to 120, at least those 120 could, could take it with each other in close spaces. And I can go in and talk about unity and how to make it and all that. And I'm not going to do that today, but I am going to tell you this, that the enemy hates a unified church. He hates it. Resist everything within you to get into division and discord and gossiping and all those. This is a preventive medicine. Take this as, as a good vaccine. Okay, I'm giving a preventative vaccine here. Avoid that at all costs. Why? Because it's not just about you. It's not about splitting a church. It's not about man, people mad. No, it actually has to do with the fire of God coming and doing what only he can do. Unity centered on supernatural purpose. That's what was going on. Second is that there was a wind that was released and a wind came and filled the whole house. The wind that filled that place was, it filled everything where they were. Where, where they were. What is that? That's something that the unity was on them. The wind was on heaven. What is that? Presence, manifest presence. What is that? Guess what? Whenever it's time to start worship on Sunday morning, whether you know the songs or, or don't know the song, whether it's your favorite ever song or I don't like that one, Wherever it is, I've been preaching a long time. We're all got it. We're all the same. You're going to have to guard about criticizing what's taking place if you want the fire of God upon this place and in you. I'm trying to help you out, bro. All right. I don't know about that teacher in that class. I like this teacher in this class. Watch it. Well, I don't think I'm going to sit in this side because that one there, I'm going to sit way over here and I'm not even going to look, watch it. You're going to have to live without fire. You're going to have a dead, cold sacrifice cut up in pieces, just laying there rotten in front of everybody. That's what's going to really happen. I just said, God, I'm just going to speak it best I can. That's what's going to happen. Most churches are in that category in some way. Not this church, not saying that at all. I'm just saying a lot of them. Many years ago, we started out in one way down in California. You know the one I'm talking about, where it was a double stream thing, so messed up and so, and, and I won't even get into it all. That's, we walked through it. Huh. Oh, you think I just met those guys? It's old. You're being kind, bro. You're being kind. Ha <laughs> ha. 
Yeah, I know the both of us. Amen. Uh, there has to come a breeze from heaven. What is that? It's the manifest presence of God. The best way I found for me is in times of worship where I forget about all the pieces. I forget about all the faces. I forget about, oh, I like this. And I just focus. God, this is about you. It has nothing to do with how good that is. It has everything to do with how good you and I are vertically. Because I can sing with a gazoo from, from Haiti and do just fine if I got it. Absolutely fine and still have the manifest presence of me. That's what you need to be seeking. The wind is what proceeds the fire. Don't expect the fire to come if you're never having any fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit sweeping into your life. It's okay to watch me have a breeze, but you need one yourself. Because I'm not sharing mine. <laughs> I'm gone too long. Verse three, fire that sits in each one. You're going to have to have an encounter with the God of the consuming fire. God sent me here to tell you that. Each one of his children needs to have the fire of heaven put upon the sacrifices of their life. Why? So if I, it's, it's the only, it's the gold purified by fire. Remember where we started? Way back in Revelation. Buy from me. Gold refined in the fire. This is it. Where do you get it? The fire coming upon you. You're the gold. It's what he does inside of you. I, I don't have time to go in, but there's a whole thing here. What happens to you whenever the fire of God comes upon you? I will tell you this. When it's all done, there's less of you and more of him. When it's all done, there'll be just the ashes of what your mess was. But there's great hope in that. I will give you beauty for ashes. What Jesus is saying is, you come, lay you on the altar, as the breeze of heaven blows over your life, bring it in, lay it all down. That's your sacrifice. Let me put the fire on it. The thing is, it's not a one-time process, which brings us to today. Maybe it's been a while since you've had some of the fire of heaven come upon your life. Well, it's time to get it again. The Holy Spirit is the one that came and it said fire sat on each one of them. I, I, later on, I'll go, I'll go over the significance of that. The fire didn't just rest upon the apostles and the disciples. It didn't just rest upon the intercessors or upon the super spiritual people. It didn't. The Bible is very clear. It rested on each one of them. Well, pastor, I don't know if that's, if that's for me. I'm not talking about gift. I'm not talking about call. I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking about God's fire coming in and taking total control of you. Every one of you needs that. The fire needs to come upon you. Where it's not for, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Because you have been burned up because he is consumed. And that's a lifelong process in my opinion, but there are times when you need a fresh fire. Let's stand. Holy Spirit is the one who runs the furnace room in the church. Who's going to be first to join me in? And coming on down and say, I need a fresh fire upon my life today. I'm not calling you as somebody who's ablaze with the flame of heaven. I'm calling you as somebody that says, I need, I need another coal taken from off the altar and placed upon my life. Who's going to be first to say, pastor, I'll join you. I need it too. That's what I felt this Pentecost Sunday was about. Just us coming and saying, God, we don't really know how it all works, but Lord, we want the fire. Well, my wife came. So Susan and I are here. How many are willing to say, God, I need the fire of heaven to come and begin to consume my life. I need a fresh touch from heaven.
let's just come and end the service up today. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but uh, yeah, you can stand here. We'll pray for you. We'll lay our hands on you. You can find a place at these altar uh, benches up here. That's a great place to spend some time. We did Wednesday night, but Lord, send your fire. Uh, it's not, this is not about just following me. This is about you presenting yourself saying, God, I need a fresh fire of heaven upon me today. Lord, I need a fresh touch from heaven upon my life today. Lord, I need the flame rekindled in me today. Pentecost 23, I need a fresh flame set under my sacrifice. God, I need what I brought to you to be put, uh, put to the fire of heaven. Lord, people's church for what it is. We love it. We thank you for all of your blessings. But today, God, send your fire in this place. Send your fire upon this people. Lord, take our lives, our sacrifices, what we bring to you, and Lord, put your flame to it so that it's not us, it's less of me and more of you. John said, I must decrease and he must increase. Lay your hand on your heart. Pray some version along this way in your own way. It's not about following me, but Lord God, I present my life to you. Whatever it is that I have, all that I have, I present me to you today, God, and I pray that you would ignite me with the flame that can only come from you. It's not about enthusiasm of a church or a name or a place. It's about the enthusiasm of another kingdom from another world. Ignite it within us, God. Ignite it within us, God. You begin to make the invitation. You begin to say, now the prophets of Baal, they screamed and hollered and beat and whipped themselves and did all of that and nothing happened. But there was something in Elijah that was different. He had faith that God is the God of, who answers by fire. And God is the same God today as he was then. He'll answer by fire upon your life. He'll consume what you can't handle and what you can't do. He'll give you beauty for ashes. Holy Spirit, come and sweep through this house in Jesus' name. Lord, I commit this church. I commit this people. I commit this city to you. And I pray, oh God, that we would come up under a move from heaven that would be uh, notarized by the fire of God coming and consuming lives and turning them into wondrous works and testimonies for the glory of heaven. We commit it to you today, Jesus. Thank you, God.